happy to welcome all of us as we gather together once again as the Christ Journey family on our physical campuses in Kendall, in Gables, and then all those joining us digitally through Church Online. We're praying that God would meet you right there in the space where you are and that the sense of his presence and blessing would be on each one of us together. And especially to those of you who this may be your very first time to connect with us or to be present with us. And we are asking God's uh, gracious blessing to bring joy to your life today. So, but you know what I want to do? Um, last week I had this strong sense. Today I want to share it again that the best way for me to begin the time that we share together is on my knees. And so I'm going to invite you, if you so choose, wherever you are, if you want to join me on, in, on your knees in prayer, then you're welcome to. Uh, if not, join me in your heart then. And allow me to lead us. As we remember this day, Lord, you said your house should be a house of prayer. And so we bring our cares, our troubles, our burdens, we bring them to your feet and we release them to you now. We thank you, God, for the promise that you are our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. And we got trouble. We're in trouble. Our world is in trouble. We're in trouble physically. COVID-19 is loose among us, so we pray success for the vaccine, and we pray protection and health and safety for all. We have loved ones and friends and neighbors who uh, have been through this valley, and so, Lord, we pray now you would bless them. We also have economic troubles. we got bills that need to be paid, and we've got businesses that are being challenged right now, and, and it's affecting our families and our futures, and so we're praying your blessing upon the economic troubles. Would you meet us there, Lord, and be present? And we are especially prayerful for uh, the unspoken needs that are represented by those connecting with us right now. Would you just like to breathe your request to God? and invite him to make himself known to you. Thank you, Lord, that you are not far from us when we are troubled, but that in you we live and move and have our being. And today we pray that you would bring lift to each person who is laying their burden before you. And we make our prayer in the name of Jesus, our Savior. If you join me in it, would you say amen? Amen. Amen. Um, I was asked recently, how does this message fit into the series? Now, we always talk about that in our teaching, but um, almost just instantaneously, a little tongue-in-cheek, my answer was this. I just said, well, you know, we're finding the fun in family dysfunction. <laughs> finding the fun in family dysfunction today. I, I don't know, does your family have any dysfunction in it? You don't have to raise your hand. Um, but mine does. Mine does, and I'm always thankful and I'm happy when our family, my family, tries to find the fun in the dysfunction, and actually, it's in there. If you look for it, you can find it. See it there? F-U-N. You see it? It's right there. 
And, uh, and I can also tell you this, humor can help a lot when dealing with humans. Can I get an amen? The fun in dysfunction. Now, I'm sure somebody will agree that it's one thing to say that about my family, but it may be entirely another to say it when we're talking about the first family of Christmas. Joseph, Mary, baby Jesus, the cast of characters in the nativity story. So I want to say right up front, I mean no disrespect by this. I, what I mean is I want to invite you into a clear observation of um, of the story that the gospel texts that we've been given in Matthew and Luke offer, the first two chapters of both of those gospels. They tell us that this is a holy story, but it's also one not lacking in holy humor. So join me in it for a little bit. Let me, let's define a few terms first. Dysfunction. Here are some definitions of dysfunction. It can be defined as abnormality in the function of a system, something not performing normally, or this one, something different from what is considered to be normal. Okay? Now, fun. We're looking for the fun in dysfunction. Fun means amusing, entertaining, um, a surprising pleasure. So, I'm wondering if you would agree that the Christmas story has some of that in it. Things are different from what's considered normal. In a surprising and an entertaining, a kind of arrest your attention way. This is not a typical story. And, um, and it's full of unexpected, not normal functioning. What do I mean? Well, look for the, uh, look for the oxymoron type realities in it. Let's start there. Like, for instance, you've got a pregnant virgin. This is not something uh, that you see every day, right? There is a mashup of low downs and the high and mighty. You got dirty shepherds visited by an angel choir. And I'm imagining that was probably a first for all involved on both sides of that equation. <laughs> then there are the mysterious magi these ancient foreign intelligentsia that are guided from afar by a star. This is not normal, is it? <laughs> In fact, some scientists have suggested that that might have been a planetary alignment in the heavens of Saturn, Jupiter, and Mars back in 6 BC. Now, it's rare, definitely not the norm, but this was like a cosmic welcome mat that even the heavens were saying, look. By the way, uh, maybe you already read that a similar alignment is happening this month, December 2020, with Jupiter and Saturn that hasn't happened in 800 years. So, rare, not necessarily the norm. Another uh, oxymoron was the, uh, the weakness we see in power in King Herod. I mean, his fragile ego in a jealous rage, is ordering the slaughter of babies. And then there's the power that we see in weakness in two very ordinary and unlikely heroes. These are unknowns until this moment. I've got a friend up here. You, you see, I'm being visited, so pay, pay no attention to him. Um, but two very ordinary heroes 
that uh, are unknowns until this very moment. There's a young Jewish woman and her very quiet Jewish fiance. Um, by the way, did you know Joseph never speaks a word in the New Testament? Check me out on that in the stories. But his speech is to do the will of God. He's like an action figure. You know, his actions do the talking for him. And his name is the same as one of the most resilient figures in the entire Hebrew Bible, Joseph, son of Jacob, uh, who also was known for his amazing dreams. He was betrayed by his brothers. He was sold into slavery. He resists being seduced by his boss's wife, only to be falsely accused and then thrown in prison and forgotten. And yet he takes hit after hit after hit, but he just keeps bouncing back until finally he rises to serve as prime minister in Egypt, and then delivers his people at a critical time from hunger. The Joseph of the Christmas story is also blindsided by someone he cares about. And he feels very betrayed when he finds his beloved betrothed expecting. And one thing he knows for sure is it's not his. Check the story out. Surprise! <laughs> but he, like Joseph in the Torah, is a man of character, integrity, devotion, and he wants to honor Yahweh God in his life. So that means, and in his marriage, that means he can't marry Mary. That's his conclusion. Nor does he, he's such a good man, he doesn't want to subject her to public disgrace. And so you know what the story tells us? He is seeking to divorce her quietly. Well, of course, quietly. He never speaks <laughs> quietly. And then somewhere in the night, Joseph's restless sleep is interrupted by an angelic messenger in a dream, a fascinating dream that assures him that God is at work in a different from what is considered normal way. And telling him not to be afraid to take Mary home to be his wife. With this explanation, what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now, that's not something you hear every day. But what does Joseph do? He acts. He acts on the word of the Lord just as instructed, much like Abram did, the father of the faithful way back in Genesis, who obeyed the call of God, though not knowing where he was going, he still went. And there's Joseph's story in the New Testament. Now, Luke. Luke's gospel tells us some of what Mary is experiencing. Luke isn't one of the 12 disciples. He's the only non-Jewish author of the entire New Testament. All the rest of the letters of the New Testament were written by Jewish authors. And he tells us early in his gospel, you know, well, why did he get in there? How did he get in there? Well, he tells us early in his gospel that he got his information from eyewitness interviews from people who were actually there at the first, and then what he did was carefully investigate and then recorded the data so that others like us, like you, like me, could read it later and then know what they, they saw, what they experienced. And so Mary, as, uh, as many first century Jewish girls did at that time, took her name from Miriam of the Exodus time. She was Moses' big sister. 
She was a prophetess, a worship director, a singer-songwriter. She's a leader. She's an inspiring model to aspire to for all women in Jewish life. And God used Miriam in her day in the Exodus to help deliver Moses from the River Nile. And that Moses would then later help deliver Israel from Egypt's slavery. Story background. Now, we don't know because the story doesn't tell us, but Joseph's parents, Mary's parents, maybe had those stories in mind when they gave them the names they did because New Testament Miriam, translated Mary, would likewise be God's instrument in delivering a deliverer. I mean, when we first meet her, she's engaged to a carpenter. She's looking forward to her married life, but God has some other plans. And, um, and she receives this unexpected visit an angel visit with a greeting that sounds like, uh, congratulations, you've just won grand prize in a contest you never entered. And what she heard next was news that most every, every woman in Israel at the time had hoped to hear that her child would be Messiah, God's promised Savior. Now in the story, she doesn't doubt the message, but she does have questions about what? How? How? How is this going to happen? Because here's something that Mary knew about herself. She was a virgin. And then she's told that there will be a supernatural conception, a true miracle. This is rare. This is unique. This just doesn't happen, right? To which, long story short, she voluntarily says, well, I'm, I'm in agreement. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said, if this is your plan, God, then I've, I'm in. Now, those of us so familiar with the story and who actually worship through this story may miss the humor in it. But I'm telling you, there's chagrin. There is a God-sized surprise in this crazy irony. Ironic humor. It's laughable. It's ludicrous. It's shocking to the point that skeptics find it really easy to say this. This is ridiculous. This is absurd. I mean, stop. Time out. Think about this. This doesn't happen. If God, imagine your skeptic friend, as I've had them say to me, if God is in this, then he left himself wide open to all kinds of ridicule and insult and jokes. I mean, what a big joke. Which raises the question, why would God do that? I mean, why would he make such a confusing, dysfunctional entrance? Good question. You know, it makes religious people uncomfortable too. This whole storyline. Some try to over-sanctify it. How? Well, make Mary a perpetual virgin, which means that her virginity was so core to her identity that she could never stop being a virgin. That's the perpetual virginity, a forever virgin. Did you know the Bible does not do that? The Bible writers do not do that. Luke, who talked to the eyewitnesses who said they were there, they don't do that. Matthew and John and Mark the Jewish authors of the Gospels, they don't do that. In fact, we're told in Matthew and Mark that after Jesus was born, Mary becomes a full wife to her husband, bearing four other sons and at least two daughters. 
Mark chapter 6, verse 3. Isn't this the carpenter they're asking of Jesus? Isn't this Mary's son, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, Simon, and his sisters are right here with us? So the Gospels don't shy away from the miracle stories, but neither do they try to disguise the ordinary humanity with some of these extras that you don't find in the Bible. The bottom line for me is this. The truth is, ordinary people whom God chooses and uses to do his will in our world, that's what we find in the Bible stories. Ordinary people whom God chooses and uses to do his will in the world. Ordinary people who make their lives available to God. Ordinary people with questions and struggles who don't have it all figured out, with confusion and fear. People that are familiar with the messiness and the loneliness and even the brokenness of this life, but are willing to open the door of faith when they hear God knocking. These are the kind of people whose stories you read in the Bible, messy, lonely, but willing to open the door of faith when they hear God knocking. When you hear God knocking, this is the example to follow. Of course there's gonna be who, me? <laughs> you talking to me? Is that you, God? I mean, there's lots of questions to go with. It's okay to ask questions. Mary and Joseph do that. They're wondering, but, but then open the door. So perhaps that's your invitation today. Because I think what the truth is that this story is, you're saying, well, so what, Bill? Well, this is the so what. The Bible story, this story is about people like us who are familiar with the messiness and loneliness and brokenness of life, and we're facing it now, aren't we? I mean, in this crazy, unprecedented year that we've been introduced to our loneliness in more pronounced ways than we were aware of before. I mean, maybe it was there, but now we have to pay attention. And there are many kinds of lonely. I mean, there's the loneliness of illness, which some of our families and loved ones and friends and neighbors have experienced. There's been the loneliness of a hospital stay where loved ones can't visit. There's the loneliness of grief when you lose a loved one or when a business is tanking and you can't get it resuscitated where the economy is going the wrong way to where your needs are going. There's a loneliness in marriage and family where sometimes you feel like you're just not understood. You're just not known the way that you want to be. The digital age of social media has brought new ways to feel lonely where you can be connected, but not really known at all, and not personally loved. And it's a little confusing, right? And then our culture of private choices, we love our privacy, but has, it's left many desperately lonely. Sociologist Philip Slater, in his book, The Pursuit of Loneliness, writes this, we seek more and more privacy and then feel more and more alienated and lonely when we get it. We compete rather than cooperate. We avoid rather than engage. We, uh, we play it cool and thereby make the world a colder place. Suspicion and skepticism make distrust a cultural norm. Because without trust, there's no community. Perhaps that's been a big aha this year for some. But what does this have to do with the story of the first Christmas? You're wondering, <laughs> where did we just go? Okay, well, let me think about this. Well, here's a thought. God is not afraid to enter the mess of our contradictions and our alienation. 
In fact, he does it in a way that creates community and that invites investigation. So this is the bottom line. Here's where I'm going with the whole story. I'm wanting to ask you, read it on your own, but then ask yourself, can you see how God is creating community in the coming of the Christ and then inviting investigation so that we come to understanding? It creates community as we read in Psalm 68 verse 5 where God is defined in this way, a father to the fatherless, a defender to the widows, is God in his holy dwelling. That means in his habitation, where God shows up, where God makes his dwelling known. This is what you experience. God sets the lonely in families. And he leads out the prisoners with singing. But the rebellious, they live in a sun-scorched land. In other words, it is God's way to make a place for the messy and the lonely, the outcast, the broken, He is help to the helpless, he's a shelter to the needy, and he makes a way out so even prisoners can find prosperity. But, ha, the rebellious, the proud, he's glad to leave them in the desert and get sunburned, (laughs) sun scorched out there. The point is this, God meets us in the difficulties and disconnected of our ordinary days and then lifts us into his story of family and freedom. That's the Christmas story. Christmas is about God doing that. God chooses and uses ordinary people to do his will in our world, even in its messy, lonely, broken places. He enters our story that we might be lifted into his The Christmas story tells us that God makes his entrance into our family so that we can make our entrance into his. It creates community. That's my point. It creates community. But it also invites investigation. Atheist Lee Strobel was uh, an award-winning legal editor for the Chicago Tribune. He worked as an investigative journalist researching facts and evidence in criminal cases, and his job was to separate rumor from reality and, uh, and fact from fiction, to find the truth so that what they printed was trustworthy and true. Well, his wife, his agnostic wife, somewhere along the way came to personal faith in Jesus as her, as her Savior. And uh, this was no small alarm to Lee, atheist Strobel. And so you know what he does? What Lee Strobel does is he takes his atheistic skills and his journalistic award-winning competence to church to expose what a make-believe fable this all is. Now, long story short... And there's a whole other talk that needs to go into that explanation. By the way, you can, you can see that in the movie describing his life if you look up Lee Strobel. But anyway, what it does is, long story short, his investigation took him to the conclusion that, that there was solid evidence supporting the story. Eyewitness evidence, scientific evidence, profile evidence, what he calls fingerprint evidence, compelling enough to believe that the gospel of grace in Christ is true. And he's written about it. Actually, he's written several books about it. Um, His case for Christmas explores that evidence. 
And if you're interested, you know, you can check it out. It's only like 90 pages, but um, very provocative and, and insightful. But the bottom line is this grace. God's grace doesn't mean that you have to earn it or deserve it. But the love of God comes to us as a gift, a free gift that we can receive. And that gift comes through Messiah, as predicted in the ancient Hebrew text, written centuries before Jesus ever showed up. Predictions, prophecies, promises made that Strobel calls God's fingerprint evidence that beg investigation. By the way, did you know that scholars count 300 of those types of nuances, predictive elements, promises, prophecies that can be investigated? What I've done is taken 30 of those and then right-sized them into the 25 days of December 1st through December 25th and then put their foretelling and their fulfillment as testified to by the eyewitnesses in the first century in our daily countdown to Christmas. So if you would like to see what those key indicators are, where they showed up in what we now call the Old Testament over the 2,000 years prior to the coming of Jesus, and then what the first century writers said for those who would come later, oh, don't miss this, and they were connecting these together, you can, uh, you can check that out just by going to 7866101010 and type in Devo or go to the website or go to Christ Journey app. Um, Anyway, the key indicator that I want us to take a look at today is, is the one closely associated with what the angel told Mary and Joseph from Isaiah 7:14, written 740 years before Jesus. The Lord will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel. Now, this has an original context, but also a dynamic fulfillment. The word Emmanuel means with us is God. And Luke and Matthew both mention this dynamic fulfillment found in Christ. The first century believers wanted us to know that not only did it make sense in Isaiah's day in the situation their nation was facing, but this was lifted to physicality in Mary and Joseph's story. They saw fulfillment in Jesus Christ to the signs foretold from the ancient times, and this is one of them, born of a virgin. Now there's that absurd, ridiculous truth again, the claim anyway. Dr. William, Crane, William Lane Craig, excuse me, an expert in scientific evidence for creation, for a creator, says that when he was young, he thought the virgin birth was absurd. Maybe, maybe when you stop to think about it, you would agree. It's like, yeah, what is this? When does that happen? And then he went on to explain, for the virgin birth to be true, real, actual, a Y chromosome had to be created out of nothing in Mary's ovum because she didn't possess the genetic material to produce a male child, close quote. But still, Dr. Craig became a believer, a follower of Jesus. How did that happen? Well, he continued telling his own story. He says, you know, you don't need to have all your questions answered to come to faith. You just have to say the weight of the evidence to all uh, the weight of the evidence seems to show this is true. So even though I don't have the answers to all of my questions, I'm going to believe. And then he says this, if I really do believe in a God who created the universe, then for him to create a Y chromosome is child's play. 
So the Christmas story invites investigation. That's the point I'm making. If you're sort of furrowing your brow and saying, yeah, how does that work? Well, that's what it's doing. It's saying, well, check it out. Study, the, engage it like Strobel did. The Christmas story invites investigation as it creates community. So what are some takeaways today? Well, one for me is hope. Hope that no matter how dysfunctional my family is, no matter how dysfunctional we may get, God can handle it. Nothing is too hard for God. Nothing is too messy for him. Another one is this, love. This is a takeaway from the Christmas story. To the lonely, the answer to the lonely is love. The answer to loneliness is love. Being noticed, being known, being needed. That even God uses people and loves people like you, God chooses and uses ordinary people like us to extend kindness and to create the gift of family. God sets the lonely in family, not just biological ones. So our spiritual family is a testimony to that, that he brings us together, whether it's high, low, in, out, on, off, you know, whatever our past dysfunction, he says, I can go to work there and I can bring good news and great joy. He uses people like us, people that are sometimes invisible in our world. We feel invisible, but God notices. People who are unknowns, they're not on anybody's celebrity guest list, but God knows your name. People who, uh, who others may avoid or overlook or even leave out on purpose, how cruel we can be. Especially social media bullies can be so cruel about this to our young people. But God invites each one of us to be in on the grand plan. So I'm thinking this. If that's how God approached the first Christmas, maybe that's a good way for us to approach this one. As we prepare him room, what if we just did what we saw God doing? That we prepare room in our hearts, in our homes, by perhaps listening to one another, noticing one another. Engaging the story with one another, to notice people, to listen, to, to, to get to know them personally, and to listen to understand, not just listen till it's your turn to talk. And we know there's a difference. Like this happened for me and my mother over Thanksgiving this year. I was asking her a question because somehow my, the topic of my adolescence came up, which was a very challenging time for my parents. <laughs> <laughs> and so I asked my mother, you know, well, did you, were you ever upset with your parents for the way that they were raising you back when? You know, and so she was telling me, well, yeah, when I was a cheerleader and there was this boy and this other man and they didn't want me taking a ride with them and I got so upset. And I, I got stuck on the word cheerleader. You know, my mother's 87 years old and this is the first time I ever knew my mom was a cheerleader. I said, mother, you're a cheerleader? Oh, yeah. You know, but... She said, but back then, we didn't have vans and buses to drive you places. You had to get your own ride. And that's when my mom said, no, you're not riding with him. You're not riding with him. <laughs> and that's when she got upset. <laughs> but that was, it was because I, I asked a question, and then I just listened. Instead of assuming that I already knew the answer, I got to know my mother in a different way. This very Thanksgiving, perhaps we could too. And then you know what you do. This is what God did. You look for ways to include people. Whether they live a far away and he lights up the sky for them or whether they're out in a field nearby and he pays them a special visit, that we could look for ways to include others instead of leaving them out. 
and then maybe use them to help even more people this Christmas. How could we do that? Or maybe, you know what? Maybe you or somebody that you love has intellectual hurdles that they, when they, come, when they think about faith, they always think about leave your brain in the lobby. You know, that you can't dare think when you go into a church building. Well, that's not what Luke says at all. Jesus even said, this is part of the great commandment. You've got to learn how to love God with all of your mind. That doesn't mean you leave your brain in the lobby. It means that you engage it. We create community for the heart, and we invite investigation that feeds the mind. Create community, invite investigation, share your story. Maybe there's some research that you could share. But I got to tell you, there is humor in this story, like the humor of a big joke. It is a joke, but it's a joke that God is telling, and the joke is on him. Why? Because of those he loves. Now, I'm a dad, and I'm a dad who likes to be respected. I'm a dad who likes to win, you know. I, I very seldom intend to lose in anything that I try to do. I don't know if anybody else relates to that, but I have been known to lose when it comes to connecting with my kids. I mean, like when they were little, I would play little hide-and-seek. You know what that is? That's when they go off to hide, and you know exactly where they are. They're behind the curtain with their shoes sticking out, and you walk in the room and go, I wonder where Corey is. I don't know where Jessica is. And even though the parent knows, you know, they don't know. And so you lose so that you can, they can win, and you can share the moment. Or when I go to hide, you know what I would do? I wouldn't hide in such a place so as not to be found. I'd hide in a way that hey, they could find me because it was about being together. And that wasn't the last time when they were little. You know, as they'd grown, I've let them win some games. I know, not all of them. If you're watching right now, Jess and Corey, I haven't let you win all the games, but I, I let you win some. Why? So that I could share your victory. I don't like being embarrassed. That's another one. But I can tell you that I have been willing to play the fool where my girls are involved. I have been willing to be embarrassed to be the joke. Why? Because I love my kids. Because I want to be with them. Whether they're painting me up with makeup, should I say that? And then that's when I have to say, oh, don't take a picture. This can't go anywhere, please but willing to be embarrassed. You know why? Because they can't always get to me from their side. But I can help get to them from mine. And then it's like, I just want to be a Manu dad, you know, a Manu dad. Be with me, kids. I want to be with you. And then it occurred to me, what if the Christmas story is God so wanting to be with his beloved that he becomes part of the joke so that we could get on, on, we could be part of his joy. So no matter how messy or how lonely our lives, God is seeking to bring us into his family, to bring us closer, to create community in love. And no matter how confusing or, or troubling or intellectually challenging our and desperate our dysfunction, God, our Emmanuel, our with us God, is not just an idea, 
but a concrete reality, a historical real person revealed in Jesus Christ who has come to lead us out of captivity and into freedom. Now, why does that matter? Because every family, mine, yours, every person, me, you, uh, is dysfunctional. Every one of us is messy in some way. We got stories of brokenness and loneliness and neediness in our lives. So it really raises this question. Can God still meet us in our messiness and our loneliness? Can God still use us to relieve some of that human need in others? Yes. You know, the Bible word for that messiness is sin. And Jesus comes to take away the sins of the world. But how do we get in on it? Well, I got two suggestions. You can pray like Mary did. Be it to me according to your word. Just like, Lord, what you have in mind is what I don't want to miss. So here I am. And you can act like Joseph. You know, he doesn't say anything, but he does a few things that really matter. You could do this today. Follow God's lead. Show your strength and kindness toward the ones you love. Do the right thing God's way. And then let's watch together to see how God can still turn awkward into awesome when he sets the lonely in families. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, we thank you for the gift of your magnificent mind. Your ways are so much higher than ours. Your thoughts are so much higher than ours. And yet you invite us to think them with you. Your word is so amazing and sometimes confusing and sometimes challenging and sometimes so comforting and you invite us into your story. Thank you. I'm praying for somebody today who, like Mary, is a, a woman with her own plans, and yet you have other plans, and I pray that you would bring her into the fullness of your grace. I pray for men like Joseph, young, old, but who may feel like, you know, I'm really not a talker. I, I'm a quiet kind of guy, but but I thank you that you can speak quietly to us, to them, and lead them to know what the next step they need to take is, how to act now. So brother, sister, I just want to invite you. What are you sensing in your spirit in response to God's opportunity? And then would you lean that way by faith even now? And if you're on the front end of your faith journey and you want to know how do I begin a relationship with God, a, a personal relationship with God, it begins with a simple prayer. For me, it was, God, if you're real, show me. And then within 24 hours, I was praying this, Jesus, forgive my sins, come into my life, and lead me in the way that you would have me go. You can pray that same prayer. Lean God's way, trust him for the forgiveness of sin, and then invite him to lead you as you grow in his grace. In his name we pray.